0: Up, Give me bus out. come down. Spinning wheel, has got to go round. I hear you talking about your troubles and crying sin.
1: Catch a painted pony, let the spinning wheel spin. Coming up on episode no 52, I'm going to start this episode no. with a hot take, you guys. Woodstock 69? Pretty stacked lineup. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs>
0: That's alright. That's <guess>. next. a painted the
1: wheel you find Welcome to Verse Course Verse. I am DL, ready for Woodstock. With me, is most likely to have enjoyed Woodstock, Sven Knutes and Sven's. <laughs> How are you? I'm most likely to enjoy it tonight, too, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing great. Also with us, because we have a lot of ground to cover, and this is the first season that we're all officially here for a full season. Uh, Evil, don't take the green acid, not the brown acid. Brown (laughs) acid's fine. Don't take the green acid, What Jimmy. about
2: the red acid? I'm,
1: who, cares? <laughs> who cares? There's like acid in the ice. Right. It's everywhere. Acid <laughs> in the hot dogs. Um, okay. The Kool-Aid. You're not even here yet, Rachel. I like that you raised your hand. That was so... <laughs> also with us. She already has something to say. Rachel, peace, love, and mud polio has something to say.
3: My dad said it was the brown acid that was bad. It,
1: it was bad. That's what I read too, but then I read something else after Sven said it. One of
4: them wasn't like actually bad, it just gave you bad trips. And so
1: they're like, (laughs) so maybe just a
4: word of caution. Just don't take the acid. You can tell what I spent most of my time researching for this
0: episode
1: (laughs) (laughs) season two. It is the second episode. All four of us, one big happy family. Are you four ready? Yes. Are you three? Four. Me included <laughs> is four. I'm the readiest ready?
2: that I could ever be.
1: Woodstock. Tonight, Woodstock 69. This year, we're doing three parts of this. We are going to talk Woodstock 69. We are going to talk Woodstock 94. And then we are going to talk Woodstock 99. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> no, yeah. just keep getting no spoilers <laughs> there's a lot to say about all three of these actually and after studying this one I already know the angle that I and probably most of us are taking through these three Woodstock's and the fall of humanity over the last forty years. <laughs> Rachel, what's up? Without giving any spoilers, what was your favorite part of researching for this episode besides how much you talked to your dad,
3: Jimi Hendrix? Um, my favorite part of researching was honestly just learning the history of everything, how it was put together, and how people like just it was just talking to my dad. I just like talking to my dad. <laughs>
2: was your dad there? Yeah, my nice. dad was there. That's awesome.
3: 14-year-old Gus told his parents he was going to hang out in Brooklyn and instead went to Woodstock.
1: How long was he there for?
3: Uh, my dad was there for, they came Saturday. So Saturday to Sunday and then left before Jimmy and all that stuff. He was only 14, so, so not a lot of bad stuff. He's like, no, I didn't do acid until a couple years later. So,
1: <laughs> Sven, you said your brother
4: was there? Uh, he was not there. He was on the way there for like the whole time. He was one of the people that never made it because they were stuck in just in trying to freeway go freeway traffic.
3: You have a brother that old?
4: Oh yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. My dad was like fifty-six when he had me. Half brother, same dad.
3: Well, still brother, brother. Uh,
4: I've got four of them. I've got nephews older than nephews and nieces older than me.
1: Evil. Did you have fun at Woodstock? You went, right? Oh yeah, because <laughs> you're old. You're a dick. <laughs> do
2: you know anybody that went to Woodstock Evil any family or anything like that no my family were cow people my dad was riding bulls and cursing there were
1: cows at Woodstock 100%. Evil <laughs> I was
4: like they did it on a cow person's <laughs> yeah, land <laughs> a, a cow one. person
2: that has fucking that cow accurate. person true. <laughs> fucking cow person
1: <laughs> I know that this is going to be uh, talked about quite a bit so I'm just going to get it out of the way right now so we can all just kind of fan boy and girl out but Holy fuck, the music that was at this festival. 138 hours of just Mm -hmm. pounding your face with the best rock ever. Because I started studying this a couple weeks ago, and there's no way that you could even really listen to it, even if you found it, which you can't. There are
2: places where you can buy like the entire collection. Oh, God. Hendrix's set was two hours, Mm -hmm. just his. Yeah, and some of it wasn't even planned. Right. There was people
4: that weren't even supposed to be on the live, like spectators that performed. Mm -hmm. Yeah the fact that the lineup ended up being what it is is i i feel absolutely amazing and the fact that there's a day 4
1: yeah i was just consistently blown away at how you could listen and study this for weeks and not hear all of the incredible music that yeah. was there we're talking about a festival it's our first night together doing this season two. So we need to get to the most important part of the night, ASAP, what are we drinking tonight? Sven, what do you got? I wanted to try Rachel's drink. So I took Sunny D. <laughs> Jack and <some> Daniels. Whiskey. <laughs> are you telling me that multiple people on this podcast own Sunny D? That's insane. I didn't know they still made that.
2: We need to create a cocktail book with Rachel's cocktail, all of the, her drinks in it, oh my god, and no. sell it, sell it at like Spencer's or some gas yes. store. <laughs> that's actually
4: it's kind of brilliant. I would not recommend that. That's a zero, zero yes. out of like seven hundred and forty-two boots.
1: Do you have anything else for um, there? We go. I
4: am gonna wash it down with a loose boots IPA from Road Roadhouse Roadhouse. Brew jackson Hole,
1: wyoming rachel yeah shot in the dark for all of our listeners that listen frequently you are on a big kick yeah. right now which i actually like because yeah. that's how i started getting a little better at making cocktails mm-hmm. and, and making a lot more Is i just took one cocktail for a year and i was like i'm just gonna beat the shit out of it perfect the shit
3: that's what's happening and i also just don't have the space in my house for like Multiple bottles of alcohol.
1: That sentence, space for alcohol in house, (laughs) that's not true.
3: It's a tiny box of a house. This week I made the tequila myself. I cut down a tequila tree. A
2: tequila (laughs) tree?
3: (laughs) The Espolone, is that how you say it? Uh, I used that tequila, not the one that I have in the picture, (laughs) and then an alcohol fusion kit. It's a spicy margarita kit, and it had dehydrated jalapenos, pineapple, and oranges in there, and so I've been letting that marinate since last Tuesday. Oh, a long um, time! So I use that, and then uh, and then use Mr. and Mrs. T to mix it together.
1: <laughs> uh, how is it?
3: It's very fucking. It's real spicy, and I had like a jalapeno salad for d- jalapeno. yeah.
1: Fucking four days marinating in a jalapeno. Yeah, <laughs> it's real spicy. Is it good though? Yeah, it's delicious. Oh, nice. Evil. What do you have tonight?
2: Well, I have. I have some tequila too but that's for pure unadulterated cabo I have <laughs> oh, Don. some Don 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 Julio mm-hmm. Reposado Yeah. Or whenever I need to throw back a shot. But my cocktail for the evening. So I got a new cocktail book. I think I need another cocktail book for Christmas. It's the Nomad Cocktail Book by Leo Robitschek. I knew it was going to be good when I noticed that the publisher is the same publisher that puts out the death Death and come books. Yeah. It's got tons of like special recipe stuff, but it also has like his takes on the classics. And tonight I am drinking his take on what's called the Ward 8 which I've seen before but I've never actually made. It's rye whiskey, equal parts lemon juice and orange juice and grenadine and it is delicious.
3: That sounds delicious.
2: It's very good.
3: And in such a fancy cup.
2: And it's super boozy, but you wouldn't I could drink a pitcher of this, but that would be bad.
3: Do it.
1: Long Island Iced. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like it. I have a couple drinks. Ooh. The first one that I'll show off in honor of the muddy fucking mess that Woodstock was, I made a Dark and Stormy, which is basically a Moscow Mule with rum. Actually, I didn't know this. Evil, did you know that... It's
2: a very specific rum.
1: Exactly. That's was, so you do know. Yeah. Of course, you fucking yeah. do. It is not technically a Dark and Stormy unless it's Gosling's rum. So yep. I've got a ginger beer with lime and kraken.
2: <laughs> There's a black strap rum. I can't remember who makes it. That's really good in that recipe. You can't call it a dark and stormy, though, because trademark. I've got
1: my shooters here
2: <laughs> for tonight when we shoot.
1: And then I've also got, because I know that us four are going to get crazy tonight. Or, in Ooh. other words, maybe we're going to get a little loco. You have a, oh! <laughs> oh, shit. So, I've got a four loco. Oh, no. I think I've decided that every year, the first time that all four of us are together, I'm going to drink a Four loco. Oh, my God. Bye, everybody. It's going to
3: be so fun in
0: like 15 minutes. (laughs)
1: You're going to have
2: such terrible heartburn. That's so bad. That's going to be so awesome. Oh, my God.
1: That's bad.
4: Is it like Sunny D and whiskey bad?
1: You know what? I swear to God, if I could picture what Sunny D and whiskey tasted like. This is totally it. Uh, <laughs> so had to take another if sip. you ever want to taste Sunny Dean whiskey, <laughs> go get a electric lemonade for loco. And that's
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but yeah, I'm about to be lit. I'm I'm very excited. And then I've also got some shooters because we are gonna take our first shot of the night very soon. But first, oh my. very quickly, I've got one question for each of you, and I'll start with Rachel. Mm-hmm. If you owned a newspaper, the headline on your newspaper would read what?
3: I have four options.
1: Okay. I will cut three of them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Free mud wrestling at Woodstock. Mm -mm. Want to do drugs not in your parents' basement? Come to Woodstock. A little better. Watch strangers have sex at Woodstock. Brown acid. All the rage at a concert where I may or may not be able to taste infinity.
1: That is a good one. I'm keeping that. That's a good shout out. I will go next. I probably should have gone first because mine is really not that inventive. If I own a newspaper, the, the headline for this festival would read fucking hippies, colon, music festival takes over Woodstock.
3: Fucking hippies.
1: Evil. What would your headline be for your super big newspaper? <sighs> Old person sigh. Oh, <laughs> That's a pretty good headline. That's all I <laughs> AG and a bunch of beaches. <laughs> do you have one Sven?
4: Okay, muddy mess of mass mayhem turns farm into third world country.
1: Ooh. Did you steal that from like the Boston so. Globe That's or good. something? All the
4: M's were there. I had to change the last half.
1: Okay, those are our headlines. We got to get into this. But the first thing we got to do because all four of us are here Beginning of season two, things are going really well for the podcast. Our numbers are doing great. Feedback's good. This year is going to be massive. God, I want to spoil shit so bad, but this is going to be a good year. Some of the interviews we have are ridiculous. We need to toast to Sven, Rachel, Evil. Here's to a very fantastic season two. Rachel, what are you shooting?
3: Malibu. (laughs)
1: Oh, Sven, what are you shooting? Mystery flask. So, okay, here, here, ah. here's my
4: new Ooh. fun thing for the season. <laughs> so this mystery flask, right? We don't know what's in it. It's probably 50% wild turkey and some kind of other whiskey. I'm going to do a thing where for birthdays and just like family get together, we get like little bottles. I will drain the bottom of whatever oh alcohol we're finishing off or if someone gives me a little like single shot, into this so it will continuously be an evolving concoction a king's that's cup disgusting. and that's what i'll shoot yep.
2: <laughs> it's an infinity bottle evil you
1: have don yeah, yeah I've got like Don like Hullio, all right Reposado. and i've got the hen cheers everybody cheers that is
2: i love i love tequila
1: taken a shot of hennessy after you took a drink of four loco it's really weird to chase a drink with a shot <laughs> it's, <laughs>
2: it's
1: supposed to be the other way around we're going to take a break we'll be right back you come around here the you got the
0: rock night
1: Woodstock, 1969. You people have probably heard of it. It's fairly important in musical history. I want to start this off by asking all of you an honest question. We already touched on the length of it. I know at least That's one of you, said. the answer is going to be. Rachel, I'll start with you. To prep for this, did you listen to the entire Jimi Hendrix set?
3: No, I did not. No.
2: Evil, did you? Not the entire set. I listened to quite a bit you know, um, for the the sake of time and diving into everything else. I didn't listen to the whole thing.
1: Sven, you did.
4: I didn't give it a good, like, sit down, listen, but it was on. Stuff would pop up where I would actually, like, stop everything I was doing. So, I mean, that was, this was, like, the album that I learned to play guitar to. As a 15-year-old, I had it on repeat until I could play it. Well, almost. Almost.
1: I listened to it today. I got home from work. That was going to be my big... Get hype! I bought the three vinyl set. Super high quality. It sounds absurdly amazing. But here's what I hate about the three vinyl set. You know the amazing Voodoo Child into the Star Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. Because it's yep. a three vinyl set, those are separated. Oh, the second vinyl yeah. stops, and you <laughs> have to go put on the third vinyl to. There's it's. That's some bullshit.
2: That's a poor decision.
1: Decided to do that. Yeah. I was so mad.
4: Yeah, like why they didn't cut it after fire.
1: Yeah. They
2: should have. The
1: last vinyl is, uh, it's only two songs per side. Like half the vinyl is used. Just downright upset about that.
2: Rightly so. Thank you. The
1: very first thing that we need to do here is we are going to guess everybody's favorite act and shots do right on this. At the end, we are going to do a few who was your favorites Favorite acts, best acts, that sort of thing. And once we get there, we might be taking some shots. Let's go by person. I will start with Rachel, who I had the most problem with guessing who uh, was the favorite act. You can't see her, but she's wearing a Who shirt right now. Ah, damn! And I was pretty close to picking that because I know she has a soft spot for the Who. There's also some poignant female rock at Woodstock that I thought might hit a spot with Rachel, but in the end I went with Sly in the Family Stone. Hmm. Well, don't <laughs> make she basically just made the you're a fucking idiot face. <laughs> <laughs> so which that actually does not work in her benefit because now Evil and Sven know damn sure not to pick that. So that's fair. Uh Sven, what do you pick for Rachel?
4: I am going to say Jefferson
1: Airplane. It's a good guess. Ooh. Evil, what
2: about you? She's what you... wearing the t-shirt. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say the who because yeah. I'm smart and I'm going to play the game <laughs> the way it should she, be
1: played. I, I think she owes a shot. <laughs> Let's go to Evil now. Rachel, who do you think Evil's favorite band was at Woodstock? Artist.
3: I'm going to probably get this wrong. I said Grateful Dead.
1: Nope. Now he's making what? the you're an idiot face.
3: You don't like... Fifty-minute guitar solos. <laughs> Maybe. I like that
1: one. All right, this is where the benefit of us starting to know each other musically comes in handy. We talked a lot, season one. We actually talked a lot about 1969 in season one. Yeah, and so I feel fairly confident in saying that Joe Cocker is Evil's favorite act of woodstock Sven. what about you
4: i'm going with mountain i feel like it's one of the heaviest bands that was there hmm. yeah mountain
1: i think that's a great pick
4: yeah that's about as metal as I that's that's what a, Stock that's a gets. completely agree
2: I, i'm gonna keep my mouth shut yeah
1: um let's go sven now i will go ahead and start same thing we just talked about it's pretty much cheating the answer is Jimi Hendrix. And if he says it's not, he's a liar, so he's just going to have to shoot three shots. (laughs) So I'm going to just go out on a limb and say Jimi Hendrix was Sven's favorite act of Woodstock. Rachel, what do you think?
3: I thought me and Sven are the same person, and I did not pick this band, but I thought this is who I thought people were going to pick for me, and I picked CCR.
1: Rachel, you do realize I just told you who Sven's favorite
2: act
3: (laughs) is. I know, but it'd be cheating if I looked on your paper David. Okay.
2: Uh, evil. I'm cheating. It's <laughs> Jimmy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now let's go to me. You. Uh, Rachel who was my favorite act at Woodstock?
3: Janice.
1: Janice. Oh Joplin? She was there. Mm-hmm. She I was there.
2: Um, evil what about you? This is difficult. I have two I'm picking from and they're not Hendrix. I'm waffling between CCR and Sly. I do very much love both of them.
3: David, you have the best game face.
2: Yeah, that's a
1: poker face. Um, I'll say Sly. Sven, who's my favorite performer at Woodstock?
4: CCR.
1: All right. Now, I'm let's not give anything CCR. away, but I just want to know, Rachel, Evil, Sven, will you be shooting at the end of this based on the guesses? If they guessed your act, you take a shot. Gotcha. So, Rachel, are you going to take a shot? Nope. Motherfucker, it's Nobody one wanted. of them chicks. I know it is. Uh, evil, <laughs> <laughs> are you going to end up taking any shots at the end of
2: this? I will
1: not be taking a shot. You are a liar, sir. Nope. Uh, Sven, will you be taking shots at the end of this? Nope. I'm quit- I'm, I quit. This is David, yours.
2: are you
3: taking a shot?
1: Yeah, I am. Yes! So I'm the only one that's going to shoot for this. What a bunch of bullshit.
3: <laughs> I'm glad I didn't cheat All
1: right, though. So we'll find out at the Close end uh, Why I'm shooting And why the liars aren't <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off Let's talk some Woodstock facts I'm gonna name some stuff off Anybody add, take away, whatever you wanna do Interrupt me, don't interrupt me August 15th through 18th Of 1969 On a privately owned dairy farm In Bethel, New York After several failed original venues those were pretty
4: freaking big failures uh yes of venue venue moves and choices politically conservative i don't want hippies in my backyard people
3: fucking hippies it's important to note that the population of uh, bethel new york at the time was 2366 people not
1: that
4: many the original idea they wanted to build a recording studio in woodstock Mm -hmm. new york it was this place where like dylan lived there i don't know this is like an artist mecca so they want to build a recording studio there wasn't one up there they got some investors they were getting money basically asking for money and investors to build a recording studio at the very little end of their little pitch they said oh and there's these people up there that do these like shows these small little concerts and they make a little bit of money. Maybe we can do something like that. Have some of the local artists that live up there uh, do this little folk concert and we'll charge tickets and make money and that'll help offset the cost of the recording studio. Uh, The investors had already built a recording studio in New York City. They weren't looking to build another recording studio, but they were intrigued by the idea of like a, a concert. And so 1969, this is after like, you know, Monterey has happened, and there's been some like large festivals already. They, yeah, this
1: was the time where festivals were very normal. They
4: yeah, were, it, it yeah. was like the birth of like they, this was like festivals were two years old at this point,
1: happening all over
4: the. And place. usually though, that usually they they ended in disaster of some sort. They were <laughs> something always goes wrong. They were awesome music and they were awesome events, but they also had the stigma. A town of a couple thousand people hearing people want to have a festival there, they're thinking of all those negative headlines. You know, all they can think about is like there's going to be rioting, there's going to be looting, there's going to be people going crazy. One of the towns actually passed a law, like a noise ordinance that you could not make a sound that went four feet beyond the property line. They passed that law like right before Woodstock even when it came to planning for like gate crashers and things like that, they always took into consideration, like how is it that we can make sure that people felt welcome? The ultimate site that they ended up landing on at Max Yazgir's farm in Bethel, New York was pretty amazing. It was a natural bowl, a natural amphitheater that alone made it possible for the hundreds of thousands of people that eventually ended up showing up to actually be able to maybe hear a little bit more of the music than they would have, at any of the other sites. It was undeveloped. So it gave that nice, peaceful, tranquil kind of like out in the woods feel. But yeah, they had to bring in all the old, all the utilities, everything, power, dig wells, phone lines.
3: They had problems at all the sites. And even at this one, they the neighbors had put up signs that were saying, boycott Yazgur, yeah. really don't buy his milk. And that was the tipping point for him where he was like, you know what? Fuck these conservatives. We're gonna <laughs> let's, have the, let's have the party. Because he, he himself wasn't like, super into it but was like yeah i'll sell the, bar the farm that's fine enough money but well
2: also it was a, a really particularly wet mm-hmm. year rainfall wise yeah and so i mean this was basically in hay fields is where this was and he, they right. weren't able to put up hay so they needed money to <laughs> feed their cattle right and so i was like hey you know what we're gonna do this and make some cash, and it was like a perfect storm of circumstances that allowed for this to happen.
1: Michael Lang, who was the founder who just died on January 9th. Yeah. John Roberts, Joel Rosenman, Artie Cornfield, and Michael Lang were the young dudes in New York knowing that music was what they wanted to put their money in. And just like Sven says, the idea was to make enough money from this event, essentially, to start their own music studio in New York.
4: They were all super young. They're like in their twenties, right? Very young. like yeah, yeah very crazy young. young. Yep. Like a, a music promoter. But they were like super young with just barely enough experience to pull it off, but they knew people. I think that was the cool the cool part of the whole story is they knew all the right people right. to pull in for like yeah. director of operations and stage managers and like lighting designer. Oh my god, if they didn't have Chip Monk, what the hell would have happened? The voice that we mm-hmm. all hear, like they just knew People to call who also knew more of the right people to call.
1: So for these entrepreneurs who did very well from this festival, even though approximately 186,000 tickets were sold for this event that ended up with approximately 400,000 people at it. They still made a shit ton of money, but how insane is it that the tickets that they sold made up for less than 50% of the people that actually came to this concert? I do think one of the things that history has gotten wrong, which we'll talk on later about this festival, is this wasn't some free festival. Money was made on this bad boy. Mm-hmm. It just, not as much as there could have been.
4: It took him 10 years to... To actually turn the profit, they were like over a million and a half in the hole. Come Monday morning after the festival, they spent three point one million dollars, and they only took in about one point eight. Robert's family actually bailed them out. They had a lot of IOUs. They had banks that were pissed at them that were calling them for weeks trying to collect money. They were bleeding money the entire weekend. So like it wasn't until like the eighties that they actually turned a profit. A large chunk of that was the documentary that they were smart enough to film. Right. If they wouldn't have filmed Probably. that documentary
1: and had film crews there and very obviously a monumental event, one of the things that Rolling Stones has done in their <laughs> years of existence is come out with a list of the most important events in rock mm. history to which Rolling Stone made this the 19th most important, which wow. I guess whatever. What?
3: What's more important than like 18, 18, more 18 things. other things? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jesus. Well yeah. I didn't even look at it. I just I saw that on like Wikipedia or something. I was like, well, I'm putting this in because of how stupid it is. <laughs> That's gross. It's been the product of a cabillion documentaries, tribute albums, podcast episodes. It's gonna continue. Fun fact, I'll take a chug for each one of you that know the answer to this. So I might take three chugs here. Who was the first act to sign on for Woodstock? Cretans. Do not <laughs> Guess I'll take one.
3: Were we not guessing?
1: Did you guys know that? Did you know that CCR was the first?
2: Act? Yes. The very first. I didn't know they were the very first.
1: I think it was between okay. them and Blood Sweat and Tears.
4: Them and like Joan Baez got paid like ten grand. Blood Sweat and Tears made like fifteen. Hendrix, yeah. who headlined the thing, made eighteen thousand dollars and played for like yeah. five people that were still there after everyone left on Monday. <laughs> Like
1: how much yeah, is that? Yeah, but eighteen thousand back then—that's like one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars with inflation. He yeah. did yeah. fine, right? Yeah. Like, yeah,
2: they'd set a hard cap at fifteen thousand.
1: That's one of the craziest things about this—is how few people were really at Jimi Hendrix. And the one thing that really bugs me about the history of this festival is how Jimi Hendrix is the cap for everybody about this. But in the end fucking 85% of the people were gone for it. But it was funny. I listened to an interview with this for Joe McDonald, the country Joe and the fish, Joe. He was there for Jimmy. And the guy said that to him. And Joe was like, yeah, but you don't get it. There were 25,000 people still there for Jimmy. Have you ever been to a concert with 25,000 people there? It was a fucking lot of people.
0: Right, right. You
1: know, there wasn't the amount of people, but the fucking Jimi Hendrix experience at Woodstock was, it didn't matter. Like at that point,
2: you're just less of a sea of people.
1: I didn't think about it until he said it. And I kind of, I really liked that.
2: The thinking was the last act is the main event. That's the closer of the event. And that's kind of what was in his. His contract. Yeah, exactly. No one could play after him. Today, you go to a big festival that's over a period of three or four days, the big headlining acts are yeah. There's going to be a few of them spread out at like the optimal time spot. Radiohead spots. Head at know, 7 p.m. on, on yeah. Friday.
1: Yes. Exactly.
2: Yeah. But back then, it was like the closer was the headliner. And so that was kind of in his mind and in the contract. I think they offered for him to go on like Sunday night at midnight. And he's like, nope
1: going to close the show. Yeah. Even when CCR went on at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> right. <laughs> nope. Closing the show. Nope, closing the show <laughs> tomorrow yep. morning. CCR was the first band. And we already did a 1969 episode. And I based my entire 1969 episode around CCR. So I do apologize that I brought them up. And now I will start some thoughts on Woodstock with a quote from John Fogarty from CCR. Yeah, I'm going to keep fucking talking about CCR because you know what? They were important I, I, you See, in we 1969. should have changed like artists that we drink. Uh-huh. Quote from John Fogarty. I just, I love this. I felt like it needed to be in here. We were ready to rock out and we waited and waited and finally it was our turn. There were a half a million people asleep. These people were out. It was sort of like a painting of a Dante scene, just bodies from hell all intertwined <laughs> and asleep, covered with mud.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And this is the moment I will never forget as long as I live. A quarter mile away in the darkness on the other edge of this bowl, there was some guy flicking his bick. And in the night, I hear, Don't worry about it, John. I'm here with you. I play the rest of the show for that guy. Aww. That's, yeah. That's awesome. I just love that. Yeah. I love that so much.
3: I think it was one of the most important events of the 60s. I mean, there was so much going on. Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy got shot. Vietnam was at the, the highest amount of deaths that had ever happened within the that year and the previous year and then the following year. And then the moon landing had just happened. Or did it? The month before. Bum, bum, bum. Like, there were so many... <laughs> important sorry so many terrifying things that were happening in the world and it was just a really beautiful time for people to prove that they could just gather together for you know this peace love music and just come together as one and it really was this really beautiful moment in music and there were so many people there and bands that weren't who they are today I mean, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, that was their second.
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you about this. That's one of the other things that I realized while researching for this that I hadn't thought of. 80% of the music that was amazing here, we think it's just this big star-studded thing, which it was. But back then, Mm -hmm. so much of this music was brand fucking new. Mm -hmm. Just come out this year, maybe last year. To think of just hearing these bands. Mm
3: -hmm. I think, actually, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they had their album came out like... The month before or something like that. And these people are playing for a Jimi Hendrix only played for, you know, a small percentage of the crowd. But you think of like a 10,000 person arena and you're like, wow, that's a fucking lot of people. And Crosby, Stills and Nash are playing for, you know, 400,000 people with at least half of them paying attention. Something that is kind of impressive is that, you know, you think of hippies as like peaceful protest, good people that only want the best and they only want to love everyone and each other. And we're going to sure touch on the other Woodstocks, but like those did not turn out the same way. You know, you get a lot of people together in hot, angry weather uh, with no food and it's you're just asking for horrible things to happen. But all these people were so great. And peaceful. I actually heard this really good story in this lecture I listened to last night. It was given by this police officer mm. that worked Woodstock, and they did not have the amount of security that they should have had, but it turned out fine. But this officer needed to accompany somebody who was having a drug overdose in an ambulance. The traffic was so bad five lanes going the same direction instead of going both ways. Ambulance came to a stop at five cars that had been completely abandoned. You know, they couldn't get through the traffic. They just said, you know, it's quicker to walk. This hippie came up to the officer and was like, do you guys need some help? And he's like, yeah, actually, I could use some help. So he calls over like 20 of his hippie friends. They move a car for him over into the meadow so the ambulance can get through and they just move on. And the officer was just yeah. really amazed that yeah. everybody was so peaceful and these anti-establishment kids were so willing to help him. It was just yeah. a really great thing.
4: Max Yasger, the guy whose farm they were on, they let him talk at the festival, and that was the same mm-hmm. observation that he made. If you go and listen to the recordings, like that, he says something like, all of you proved that you can get together and have a weekend of music and fun, and have nothing but music and fun. you know. And that's in the light of all the newspaper headlines and things that were- Yeah, the lead
1: um, county sheriff in the only interview that he did about it said there, his only quote was, there were no rules being enforced at all at the festival, and he'd never met a bunch of nicer people in his life. Mm -hmm. Two
4: deaths. Half a million people there, Mm -hmm. two deaths. A heroin, suspected heroin overdose- and then a tractor accident. Yeah. The yeah. tractor that was hauling the trash compactor yeah. thing ran over. Jesus. Sad. There was deaths. But yeah. two and no riots. None of the crazy shit that they thought was going to
1: happen.
2: I mean, compared to like music festivals today, yeah. those are rookie numbers. Very right? much. Yeah.
1: yeah. Where are you at, Travis? What's his name? <laughs> Scott. <Brandon>? Well, Travis, <laughs> Travis Scott. Thank Scott. you.
4: It was kind of a muddy, shitty disaster. An official disaster an official disaster the government the governor of New York Rockefeller declared it a disaster area called in the national guard the national guard helicopters brought in food and supplies that kept the festival go like medical supplies I think specifically that kept the festival afloat the cultural significance of the festival I think outweighs the actual festival itself all in all the festival was kind of a clusterfuck <laughs> it, it, of. from like a planning standpoint it was a disaster right but the outcome was really awesome. Because you couldn't get anyone in there, they, there was no artist to play half the time. Like, Jimi Hendrix had to bum a ride off some hippie dude. Mm-hmm. They started so late on day one. Richie Havens opened the festival, and he was running away from it, I think, the entire time until someone finally actually physically caught him and shoved him on stage. He tried to come off stage like six times. There was no one else to play, so they kept shoving him
1: back out. If you go to Woodstock playlists and shit like that, Mm-hmm. A lot of it is him because he, he had so many songs Yeah, it. If you make a playlist <laughs> like of all of Woodstock, could. he's like 6% of it because of how long they made him play. You
2: know, part of that was because of the rain. Yep. They were like really pushing Acoustics, acoustic artists yeah. to, yep. yeah, to keep people from getting electrocuted on yeah. stage. Yeah, Freedom,
4: his closer, you hear him stalling. He comes out there and he's just strumming the same chord, tuning his guitar, stalling. But then he starts just singing the word freedom, 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 and then goes into that. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Moments like that are what I love about live music, not just Woodstock, but in general, like the stuff that just happens because it's organic or it has to, or it's just
2: in the moment. Um, And Woodstock was full of stuff like that. This event, I want to expand on what everyone has said, especially what Sven was talking about how the cultural ramifications of the event have kind of moved into legend and eclipsed the actual event itself Mm -hmm. and the meaning behind it is what has and what will live on through history as this meaningful event of people coming together to express themselves, to be vehicles of peace and love and like togetherness. And what's very interesting about that is I hadn't heard this term before, but in researching this, I came across it multiple times. This is like literally boomer music. These are baby boomers, right? (laughs) If you like dig into interviews of people at the time, they call themselves the war babies. That carries a very different meaning. It was like kind of the culmination of this cultural movement to create an event of, like they said, like peace and love and togetherness. I feel like Woodstock is an extremely American thing. It's a very freedom oriented thing. There's two sides of that coin. It's yin and yang. There's a Thomas Jefferson quote, the tree of Liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. But on this side, it's also the tree of Liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the love of patriots and tyrants. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite side of the coin and it is the flip side of the expression of freedom that I think is a uniquely American thing. That's, I think, why it has become such a iconic event in the history of music for us and for our culture. We can dig into the specifics of the event and what happened. So, but what really will people remember is the memory of it. And that's what all we have. None of us were there. Right. We just have anecdotes and yeah. And we're reading Wikipedia articles and, and watching some of the, but we didn't experience it. It's a legend to us. You know, we're going to talk about the other two Woodstocks, but this is the real Woodstock. It's the one that's going to persist throughout time. And it's undeniable. And there was something special about it that you can't really put your finger on. And it's like this very unique expression of humanity. It's, yeah. it's just yes. humanity. It also kind of legitimized the market for this kind of music in a huge way. Very moving forward.
4: Like what happened at this time was what people were sent out to fight for. Right. So you've got this war, not necessarily that those things are connected.
1: They're absolutely connected.
4: uh, No hippies here. We don't want long hairs. We don't want hit, you know, like there's, there's the huge resistance. And I think there was a close chance they could have had enough negative support to pull permits and things like that politically. But I think the reason it didn't happen was there's enough people that realized like, "Hey, yeah, my cousin's in the army fighting right now so that these people can do whatever they're doing right now."
2: Yeah 100 percent.)
1: You, I hadn't really thought about that. I did logistics in North Carolina, and it was a very culturally broad mm-hmm. team. It was black people from the South, white people from the South, and this was right in the heart of the whole Colin Kaepernick taking Ooh. a knee. And on the team, since I was the only person that had ever been in the military, one day I got asked, what do you think about it? And that was pretty much what I said to him was if you actually fought, if you believed in what you were doing, then it shouldn't fucking matter what I think about it. What should matter is the fact that he has the fucking right to do it. Yeah. Yep. And I honestly thought that there was going to be a little bit of an edge to this episode, a little bit of a, what was Woodstock really? But it's been pretty predominantly positive and Mm -hmm. jaded David. Dark David, I completely agree. Like, I'm going happy on this one. I really wanted to find an angle that was just... It's all bullshit. Woodstock was... But it wasn't. It wasn't at all. I'm buying in to the Flower Power. Would I want to go to that show? Fuck no. Uh,
4: (laughs) I mean, they would get like barbecue backstage.
1: Okay. If these same bands were in a nicely air-conditioned indoor facility where I could have three meals a day and a nice beer. Yes, I would pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to that. <laughs> there were some little bullshitty things about researching this that I could have gone like we talked about with Jimi Hendrix being the big <laughs> tag where so many people were gone by that time. And, you know, heat stroke, yeah. dehydration, people starving. But I, what I decided to do, because there's just so much what really happened and what really didn't. I dug very deep and I found a not story. It was somebody who was there. Ooh, good. Her account. That's a good word for it. Her a account testimony. of what happened. Her name is Sarah Davidson, who was reporting for the Boston Globe. She wasn't even there the first night. But Janis Joplin's publicist called her and told her about like 2 a.m. after the first night, get the fuck up here, get up here now, because something is happening here. Because like we talked about, festivals were a thing. A lot of bands turned this down because it's like it's just another festival. But then Janis Joplin's agent, publicist, called Sarah Davidson and said, no, there's some sort of insane cultural event that we are witnessing right now you need to get down here the average festival attendance at this time was fifty thousand people which is a ton nobody would have expected this her story is that she drove to the holiday inn which is where all the artists were staying all the performers were there and they were either being helicoptered in or driven which is also nuts they would make these weird caravans with a bunch of cops in the front and one in the back And then they just slowly drive through the crowd and just wait for the crowd to part, which is nuts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
4: They rented like every helicopter that they could find in the county.
1: Sarah said she got into town, walked into the bar, and this is maybe happenstance, but like I've said before in this podcast, hey, I love urban legends, so I am always just going to go with that. She walked into the Holiday Inn, there's the bar, and Janis Joplin is canning out drinks partying. Mm. That's the first thing she walks in with is just Janice going to town. <laughs> she got to the festival with Janice. She went with Janice in one of those caravans. She ate at that ho- the hog farm commune that she talked about where they were giving out free food. Imagine that. Think of Coachella nowadays where it's $13.50 to get a bottle of water.
4: And that's what the neighbors were charging. Max Yasker's farm... Was where this happened? So, His neighbors were charging people. There were
3: people doing that. There was also a firehouse in the area that put out a hose and a sign that said, free water here, because they found out that a bunch of the neighbors were being, some of them were making sandwiches and being nice, and some of them were being complete assholes.
1: So, so I am now going to read something that is literally pulled from from Sarah Davidson's account. Shortly after dark a volunteer had announced the organizer for loco. The organizers didn't plan for this many people. We have shortages of food, water and latrines. So it's up to us. Look around. These people are your brothers and sisters. Treat everyone here like they really are your brothers and sisters. Share, take care of each other. That's the way we get through this. The medical tent was set up with volunteer doctors. Kids freaking out on acid would come and yelling, I've been poisoned, and others would talk them down. When they recovered, they were asked to stay and do the same thing for the ones freaking out. Dr. William Abruzzi, the medical director, said at the end of the festival that this staff did not treat one single knife wound or black eye or laceration that was inflicted by another human being. No one saw yes. one single fight. That's amazing.
3: That's insane.
1: For amazing. this amount of people going through what they were going through, yeah,
2: that, that.
1: I don't know what has changed in people. From this time to now. But I honestly don't think that's psychologically
2: possible nowadays. I mean... No.
3: No is the answer.
2: (laughs) You have to think about the group of people that went to this. Mm -hmm. It it, it was a very... I don't want to say single-minded, but a very... It
4: was a specific demographic.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They were trying to create exactly what happened there. And yeah, was it perfect? No. I mean, there were some logistical nightmares and whatever. No spoilers here, but there there was an artist that I'll talk about later who was like wandering around, looking around at things. And they're like, you know, this thing should have, it was like on the precipice of disaster, but somehow it didn't fly off the rails. Yeah. And that has to be that, that unified human spirit of peace, love, unity that everyone who went there was yeah. looking for. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, despite all of the bad stuff that happened. Are people different now? I don't think so. I think it's just that that was a particular group of people who had a, like a single-mindedness that got together for this awesome thing, and we're looking back on it now with rose-colored glasses probably a little bit, but it is definitely something to learn from because I think people today are capable of that if given the
4: opportunity. I think people today are totally capable. They just put their mind to the wrong thing sometimes. Yes,
1: yeah, can we cheers? I want to cheers to something. I want to. I want to all take a drink to to one specific thing. We
3: don't know what we're drinking uh, to.
1: Just drink. Thank you, Evil. He gets Fucking
3: it. Do it.
2: What is she doing to that
1: glass? Oh my god! That's <laughs> <awesome>. Fuck off. <laughs> one theory I read that is interesting. I want to hear what you guys think about this? After we just take a drink and we've been drinking all night, there was almost no alcohol at Woodstock. Whoa. Yeah, It was marijuana and hallucinogenics. Do you think that played a part in the
2: non-violence? 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I do too.
1: Should we take another drink? <laughs> <to> t- <laughs> yes, let's drink more. Let's drink more booze.
2: <laughs> I think we should. I choose
1: violence tonight.
4: I don't think like alcohol inherently is violent, but I think alcohol... Alcohol by itself puts me to sleep.
3: You're a good drunk, Sven. That's why. Not everybody is you.
4: Alcohol allows you to get caught up in groups that crowd mentality. It, it sure. very easily opens you to crowd men- mentality. And if the rest of the crowd is being crazy, sometimes the crowd is all in your head and you're the entire crowd. Oh, that's deep. Yeah, it is deep. <laughs> I.
1: That's what she said. <laughs> 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 hey, El. Sarah Davidson, there's something in the middle of her account that she said that I, I hadn't really thought of in, in a way we had because we've talked about everything that was going on. But she tells an interesting story about the point in time where the younger generation is going to civil rights marches and they're making friends with African-Americans and Muhammad Ali is doing fucking Muhammad Ali shit. Her parents at the time were real estate agents. They were Jewish. They were worried about black people moving into their neighborhood and driving down the prices. Her father, a Jew, saying that Jews Mm -hmm. didn't ask for special treatment Mm -hmm. when shit happened to them, that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. You know what? All these war babies,
4: because that's what they were called, right? War babies at the time. You know what? Their parents were
1: being a bunch of fucking boomers. And then what did they turn into?
3: Fucking boomers. Sorry, that was really loud.
1: That's the thing. At the pinnacle of the peace, love, and power, Nixon had just been elected. If you look at the history in a larger scheme, where this was this big, huge peace, love, and whatever for the hippies, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, we've proven how we feel about this, that it was this great, grand thing It didn't take. It didn't matter. Grassroots didn't set roots. It didn't. Like... And I don't know why. I don't know if they were just too... Maybe they were right. Maybe these idiots were just too stoned to do anything. Maybe, hey, if you want to change the world, don't just... Go to a concert and do a bunch of drugs and think that right. shit's gonna get
4: better. I like to think of it this way all the attendees, that's this half a million people that amassed there, were the experiment. They proved that you could get that many people together, not enforce any laws, and peace could actually happen. People could cohabitate and help each other out. But how do you turn that into a system? How do you systemize that into something that? is applicable in everyday life
2: i think the mistake the thought that that is the only way forward it does not take into account human nature Mm -hmm. it is what humans are capable of
4: no absolutely like that's that's the thing like there's absolutely no practical way to replicate that weekend right
2: it's it's an example of human expression it's an example of what humans are capable of And to, I think the big lesson, and I'm not saying that I'm like, I've done this or anyone has done this, but I think the thing to aspire to is to integrate what are we capable of in terms of like peace and love and togetherness with the other side of things. I don't want to say like not agreement, but sort of like a integration is the best word of middle ground. Yeah. Of some like sort. of what we are as humans, the yin and the yang have to exist together. Mm-hmm. You can't have one side of the coin without the other.
1: I like what evil said. There wasn't very obvious yin and a yang at this point. We can touch on a yin and a yang now in fucking concerts. You know what I'm going to do right now on episode two of season two, I'm going to shit on the rolling stones <laughs> 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 because you know, what was happening. What four months later, two months later, fucking Altamont. Altamont. (laughs) Yeah, where an African-American was stabbed to death while the fucking stone sang Under My Thumb, which if you haven't heard is a song where Jagger is thoroughly comparing a woman to a dog. Um, You know why they weren't invited
4: to Woodstock, when they were discussing the lineup, I can't remember which of the investors, but they're like, okay, whoa, 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 you want like peace and love and everything. You're going to have a group that sings that that's that's not in line with the entire theme of the, the event.
3: Okay, but I have a different why Rolling Stones didn't show up, so I don't know who's right. But from my research, Mick was shooting a film.
1: I think that's true.
3: And... The dates crossed, and also somebody had a baby. Keith Richards' yes. girlfriend had a baby. I think like, that's really true. recently close. To I, that. No,
1: no, I shouldn't say. I think that's true. I don't fucking know. I wasn't there. I, I. But that, that's what I read.
4: I mean, it could be like one guy was like, "We don't even need the stones," and then everyone else was like, "Oh, well, I guess they're not even available." The, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, it could all um, be true.
1: Everybody wins. Altamont had to be brought up in contrast to Woodstock. And I am not holding it against the stones beyond ignorance that they hired a biker gang. I don't know if because they were British, maybe they just didn't understand what they were doing. Any of you have further information on that or thoughts on if maybe they should be held accountable, if maybe they shouldn't?
3: We kind of talked about how everybody was there for peace and love and music and and that was the mindset and everybody was anti-war, but anti-war in a very, like, peaceful way. I told you about the lecture I watched with the officer. Basically, one point was that there was, there were no rules. Uh, There were laws in New York saying marijuana is illegal, but absolutely nobody was enforcing it because they didn't want the hassle, they didn't want to upset anyone, and nobody was committing any crimes outside of that. So they were like, you know what? They didn't want to riot. Well, like riot? I had mentioned
1: the yeah, county just... sheriff had said. that, it came down Look, to. we weren't there were no laws because everybody was being fucking yeah. amazing.
3: There's no aggression there. But you invite the Hells Angels to be your security. You're asking for people to be aggressive. And people are gonna feed off of that angry negative energy when the officers that were serving at Woodstock were told, unless somebody's dying, let's just make sure nobody hurts each other. Yeah. Could we recreate this today? Maybe because in the same time period, just on opposite sides of the exact same nation, two entirely different group of people and two completely different outcomes.
1: You know what I mean? I don't know what Altamont says about during Altamont. Mick Jagger was pleading for people to stop. It was weird because he didn't stop. They didn't stop playing. Which is really, really, really fucking weird. Right, and they also never apologized to the family of the guy that died. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't blame them, but I do.
2: Can you imagine how bad Ultimate would have been if there were tractors there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're so dumb. I don't know, <laughs> like- <laughs> You
2: asked if they are culpable for hiring the Hells Angels, yes, as their security. Yes. They're not stupid. They're British. Okay. They can speak English. They know what Hell's Angels <laughs> the, means. Their name is you Hell's Angels. That- okay, yeah. Good point. Right.
1: Yeah, fuck the stones, <laughs> dude.
4: The language okay. barrier. I love spelled okay. the language barrier.
2: <laughs> um, they knew what yeah. was going mean, to... Come on. They hired They hired Muscle instead of yeah. the hog farm. I like right.
1: that. Right. They hired Muscle instead of the hog farm. Good. Yeah. Look, we, we need to pause here. We're going to take an episodic break and we're going to be Brack. We're going to be Barack. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be back Soberer than ever, motherfucker. Um, go to our website, versecoursefirst.com. It's beautiful. At versecoursefirstpod. Verse Do all the things, like all the stuff. Love you.
2: Uh, whatever. Peace, love, and- Peace, love, and Whatever. <laughs> Okay,
0: five minutes you want